Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Welcome to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, Derek Riley will join us to discuss the latest developments in the world of electric vehicles. He'll shed some light on the changes that are taking place with regards to EV grants and how that's going to impact drivers and the environment. Keila Brodigan will take us on a journey into the world of digital audio, sharing her expertise on the latest trends, technologies and platforms in the digital audio space. Plus, the head of Uber in Ireland will provide his insights on supply and demand issues facing the taxi industry. He'll talk about the changes that need to be made to address these issues and how Uber is working to create a better environment for both drivers and passengers. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Instagram at jesskellynt. But we're going to start this week with Derek Riley of nevo.ie. Derek, how are you? I'm very good. How are you, Jess? Yeah, I'm all right now, thank you. Uh, So tell me, what exactly is changing in the world of EV grants? Yeah, so the government came out recently and said, you know what, we were probably giving everybody a bit too much money. We're going to start reducing that back down. And it's not that they're taking it away, they're redirecting those funds into infrastructure. So I think if you stopped people on the street or EV drivers and said, would you like some money off the new car that you're purchasing or would you like a faster more reliable, more numerous EV charging network across the country, I'd say they're probably leaning towards the second side of things, uh, if I'm honest. Mm. We're going to talk about the issues and the allocation of money to, I suppose, address some of the problems when it comes to infrastructure. But let's just stick with the grants for now. Um, What is changing? Will there still be some money available if you want to dip into that? Yeah, so there's dropping from 5,000 maximum, 5,000 euros down to 3,500. So it's 1,500 less. And if you spread that over three years, it's a tenner a week kind of a setup where a lot of people will be spending or getting their car on PCP. There has been the argument that people who are usually purchasing an electric vehicle in that price bracket of, so the grant went up to 60,000 euros. Mm-hmm. And then the government was given 5,000 back plus another 5,000 below the 50,000 for VRT, vehicle registration tax. So in total, between government departments, the uh, Zero Emission Vehicle Ireland or SEAI and uh, Revenue, there was a 10,000 euro uh, kind of a grant or subsidy there towards the purchasing of an electric vehicle. So that is slightly less now. Now, People listening to us won't have to start working that out. And, and we get this on Evo a lot um, because we're an, an Ireland's only electric vehicle dedicated platform. People will come to us with these kind of questions going, I can see the price of the car. Do I now take the 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 the, uh, the grant off that price? Mm. The really happy salespeople across all the garages and dealerships around Ireland and all the marketing people, they've conveniently done that for you. So you're looking at the cheaper price or the cheapest price that the the car will cost you. So you don't have to start working anything out. All the manufacturers are going to adjust their prices accordingly on the 1st of July. And what we found on the website is the day it was announced, the following day, there was a massive spike in traffic because people were like, OK, panicking. I don't want to lose out on that 1500 euros. I'm going to get my test drive in now. I'm going to book my electric vehicle. I'm going to compare them, whatever it may be, on our website before that deadline. Because if you get the order in, a lot of dealerships are going to hold that older price with that reduced grant or bigger grant. Apologies. Uh, 
is the supply there for people who want to buy an EV between now and July? No. Yeah, so it's not that it's not there. Apologies, I'll take that back. A lot of manufacturers have stock on the ground and a lot of manufacturers don't have stock on the ground. So it's kind of depending on if you wanted something, if Jess wanted a certain color or trim or Derek wanted certain size alloys, it might be, yeah, that's going to take six, eight, nine, 12 months. We have a car in stock. Would you like this one today? And so whether it's a Volkswagen ID4, which recently got came out that is Ireland's most popular electric vehicle of all time. Uh, if they add up all of those sales figures, there's over 6,000 of them on the road, surpassing the Nissan Leaf, which held that title for the last 10 years. Um, so there would be stock of that floating around in certain brands, certain models. Some brands don't have anything. Other brands have a lot of stock. So yeah, definitely it's worth pricing around, looking around, see what's in stock. Do we know how many people did? And you know, I think you've already addressed this in terms of the pricing, but do we know how many people availed of the grant or is it everyone who's bought an EV in the last number of years got the benefit of it? Correct, yes. Yeah. So usually, okay, usually okay. the dealership would have, would have taken that off and worked that out and claimed that back on behalf of the customer. And so what do we think is going to happen in terms of the sale of EVs? You know, if someone hasn't bought a car in six years or seven years and they were thinking of buying an EV, will this uh, be less attractive as an option for them now? Or do you think that people will still opt for a car despite the reduction in terms of the grant? I think the lack of availability on one side and on the other side, the, the huge demand uh, for electric vehicle, it's the new shiny thing, whether you're into technology, whether you want to save the environment, not that the car will do that, but if you're more eco-conscious or you're conscious of the price of the fuel, uh, petrol and diesel is going to start going up. The government had brought the price down, but that is starting to creep up again over the summer and towards the, the into the autumn and winter. And mm -hmm. so again, on the website, we can see that it's funny when, when you see petrol or diesel prices going up, we find more people are looking for test drives, more people are coming for information. And so there's a direct correlation with it's hitting somebody's pocket. People will want to go electric because you can control it more. You're not held by the price at the pump. You can do an overnight rate. You could put in solar panels. You could have a battery storage system. There's lots of options for you to price around and and fill up your EV. You could charge it at work. Some places give free charging to their employees. So there's lots of where's you don't get that with fuel. There, there is a kind of a, that that price around the country is the price around the country, and they're all watching each other. There isn't. Uh, if I travel down the road, there's not going to be a twenty or thirty or forty percent difference, which is, could be the case with public charging your EV to overnight slow charging your EV at the weekend. There could be a huge difference in price. Hmm. So to answer your question, people. Yeah, there, there's not going to be EV sitting on four courts anywhere because of this grant going, as I said, it's a tenner a week over three years. Now, I'm not belittling the fact that 1,500 euros isn't a big or small amount of money. You're not going to find it on the street when you walk out the door this afternoon. But in the greater scheme of things, if an electric vehicle is 30, 40 or 55,000 euros, it's not a huge amount of money on a PCP over that number of years. But is this not really bad timing? Like we all know there's the cost of living crisis, there's inflation, there's all of these other things going on. Is now really the time to be redirecting what could be a massive help to somebody buying an EV into the infrastructure side of things at this moment in time? A lot of, to answer your question, I think a lot of other motoring journalists jumped on this. It's the wrong time. This is not going to help EV adoption, as I say. There aren't enough EVs out there and people who are going to go EV usually with that price point 
it's not really going to make much difference to them, in my opinion. I don't think there's somebody today going, oh, do you know what? I'm going to buy an EV, but I'm not going to know because I'm not going to get 1,500 euros off it. Mm. By the time you put on tinted windows or an alloys or a, a LED headlight matrix system, you're up in that kind of money anyway. And is it the right time? Probably not. But again, going back to my very first point of that money that's been ring-fenced by the department to subsidize the purchasing of a vehicle is now going towards um, infrastructure. And I suppose if you were to ask people on the street, which would you prefer? Now, some people say, listen, it shouldn't go for, we shouldn't be subsidizing the purchase of, an, of a personal uh, vehicle anyway, electric or any other. It yeah. should be put into public transport. It should, should be put into cycleways. It should be put into other means of transport. Right now, it, it, that, that's a different conversation for a different day. Okay, but do we have any info or commitments as to where that money's going to go? Correct. Yeah. So Zevi, that's Zero Emission Vehicle Ireland uh, Work Group um, Department. Apologies, is uh, saying that okay, we're not going to we're going to move that money from purchasing and people purchasing vehicles to helping organisations put in charging infrastructure, be that on a forecourt, be that in a greenfield or brownfield site. Uh, there's EU legislation coming down the line that X amount of kilometres along the motorway, there has to be EV charging so that you're not reliant on the one or two motorway service stations that are there at the moment. You know every 60 kilometres there's going to be a, as an example, a, a, a hub of chargers that you can rely on. So the government are saying, well, we're going to help companies put these fast chargers and other types of chargers uh, into the ground and help subsidize the price of the hardware or the installation or the whatever it's needed to get that charging infrastructure up to standard. Mm, okay, let's keep an eye on that one. Uh, before I let you go, I want to talk to you uh, about Revolut's car insurance. They're going to introduce car insurance and there are going to be incentives uh, as in better pricing for people who opt to put trackers into their cars to essentially watch their driving behavior. Firstly, what do you make of that? And secondly, what exactly are those devices and how will it monitor driver behaviour? I believe it's an app on the phone and it uses the gyroscopic sensors within the phone to know that if you brake severely or take off severely or they can track your GPS location and work out the speed between points A and B. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely something that will incentivize better driving, I feel, if you feel that somebody is monitoring or not somebody in particular, but the organization or Revolut or whoever they employ as their driving insurance, uh, whoever their partner is. Um, and so if I know that I am getting cheaper insurance because I am only keeping it under 100 kilometers an hour when, you know, speed limit of being uh, harsh driving, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's what I think is happening. I think it's revolutionary. I think a lot of the incumbent insurance manufacturers, insurance brokers and, and companies are probably looking at this. Now, I know other insurers have had this in the past where if you download a certain app, the app allowed that kind of functionality as well. Um, if people want cheaper insurance in the, in the United States, they're using technology and you pay for insurance by the kilometer or mile. The app knows that Jess drove from Dublin to Cork and she mm. only needed to be insured when she was driving along that route and she has a base level of insurance for wherever she's parked up. So it's more insurance as you go rather than a standard. This is I need insurance for the year. And so that model is starting to come into the marketplace. I know it's in North America at the moment. Um, and so using the use of technology in this traditional blank coverage of insurance is now rewarding those people that are safer drivers, whereas there are types of drivers out there that wouldn't be considered safe in anybody's um, language. 
be that speed, be that how they drive, etc. And yeah, they should have a, a heavier premium, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's, and you know we've spoken a lot over the years about the technology that's on board a lot of cars now, uh, not just EVs but all cars. And you know, again, I'm not an expert, but it does sound like that there is that type of black box technology inside a car. We have GPS, we have all of that stuff going on. Should we be concerned that you know some manufacturers could do partnerships with insurance companies whereby tracking technology is being used and data is being fed back to the insurer? And I don't want to go like end of day, days or big brother style conversations, but is it something that we realistically need to be wary of? Like, is that something that we could envisage happening? And, you know, I suppose, are there benefits? Maybe I'm not picking up if there are benefits, but, you know, say if I could drive and if I was driving up to Donegal and my insurer could see that I was taking the back roads versus the main roads or whatever the scenario might be. Um, yeah, I definitely. We do this at Nevo in our advisory wing. We work with companies that are making the transition from diesel vans or car company cars to electric. And so we work with a telematics data provision company where we'd actually put the device into the vehicle and say, okay, we're going to monitor your fleet for three months and then come back with a suitability attest- assessment to say these vans can go electric tomorrow. This batch of vans might take uh, six months because the technology on the EV side it isn't there yet for range or load capacity. And I think we like if you've got a mobile phone on you, somebody is monitoring you, or you're you're allowing somebody to ma- see where you are, unless it's a, it's a dumb phone. But if it's a smartphone, um, yeah, people are going to and utilization of that data and, and just being sure that the company that you are working with and that the company that are being partnered with has the correct GDPR, has the uh, partnerships in place, ha- works with the um, types of companies that you are uh, happy to work with for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And we get that with the organizations that we work that want to make that transition to say, okay, you're putting your device in our vehicle and it's going to get to the stage, yes, where there won't even be a device in the vehicle. The vehicle will be sending this data to the cloud anyway. So yeah. it can monitor you. And if it sees that the car that somebody is driving has turned upside down, has inverted 180 degrees, something's gone wrong. And the ability then to call emergency services automatically and the location to say that person is in that car. We think there's a collision. They're not responding to us. We've tried to communicate them to them uh, via the built-in audio system. We think there's a collision involved. Can you send emergency services, fire service and an ambulance and the police to that location? Mm. There's a lot more positives than negatives, I think, involved in the situation. And going back to our point here at Nevo, that transition without the data, you don't know if Jessica has a fleet of vans how they're doing every driver will say oh no i couldn't go electric because i want big range but actually the data will come back and say well you don't do any more than 100 kilometers a day ever in the last three months and an electric van would be perfect for you and you're saving the cost of running you're saving on the emissions there's a cost benefit to the organization there is a, a an environmental benefit to the organization and tracking of the emissions from that vehicle, whether they're parked on the side of the road and it's idling all the time. So there's there's a huge amount of data that can be uh, taken out of these devices. And I think we're going to get more and more of that, like I say, be that built into vehicles or companies can say, you know what, I want to put in this data tracking device to say, OK, what exactly is our fleet doing at the moment? Um, so, yeah, there's, there's huge possibilities there. Okay, it's definitely interesting. Uh, Derek Riley of Nevo.ie, as always, thanks so much for joining us here on Newstalk. Thanks, Jess.
Now, when we come back, we're going to stick with the world of motoring and I'm going to chat to the head of Uber in Ireland about what they're doing to try and tackle the taxi crisis. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Now, before the break, we were chatting to Derek Riley of Nevo.ie about some of the changes that are happening in the world of EVs. And sticking with motoring, uh, we're now going to focus on the taxi industry because if you've tried to get a taxi over the last number of months, you're probably only too aware of the issues when it comes to supply and demand. Uber, which is one of the apps working in this space, is looking to change that, resolve it in some way. And earlier this week, I caught up with Kieran Hart, who is the general manager of Uber Ireland, who told me what the company was launching on Wednesday of this week. So today we're launching uh, Uber Reserve on our black product in Dublin. So that aims to provide improved reliability for riders and hopefully more earnings opportunities for drivers. And explain for those who may not be familiar what, what, the, what the Uber black offering is. The reserve product allows passengers to be able to schedule their pickup time up to 30 days in advance. So it really helps for those times where people need to get to, to airports, to meetings, to train stations, etc. And hopefully the reserve product will provide um, extra reliability for riders in this market. And we understand that it's unfortunately a very much an unreliable taxi market at the moment. But is this something that's exclusive for people who subscribe to Uber Black? No, so Uber Black's available to everyone in the app. It is It uses licensed limousines as a service. And so the reserve product will launch initially on Uber Black and I'll be able to book a reserve product using Uber Black through the app that everyone uses. And can you just tell me a little bit about the why here? You've kind of alluded to it there about the, the demand the last time we spoke, it was coming up to Christmas and you expressed concerns about the demands on services around that time. But I know myself in the last number of weeks, you know, I've had appointments, I've had meetings, I've had hospital visits, I've been trying to get taxis and it's very, very difficult. So was that the why as to, you know, the reason for the introduction? It is. We ran a survey earlier in the year about people's experience of booking specifically taxis in the market. 37% of people said they had experienced issues of there being no drivers available. So this is an issue that we know is not only happening just in Dublin, but around the country. And it's happening not only at peak times and holidays, but throughout the weeks. So the reserve product is something we've launched out globally before, and we're bringing it specifically to Dublin now on our black product to help provide users and our passengers with a reliable method of, of booking a car. Is there an extra charge for reserving a, a car in advance? There is. And so the extra charge helps for reliability in that it, uh, I guess, basically enables drivers to be able to take the time off to get to the pickup point in time to make that pickup reliable. And what is that fee? The service fee will depend on um, what time of the day and, and where you're using it. But it's a marginal service fee on top of the of the booking fee. And the riders will see that um, when they go in to book the app as a total price. Um, the, the last time we spoke, I asked you about, uh, I suppose, drivers using different platforms. So a few years ago, there was only really one app, you know, in the Irish market and it was great and it was reliable. Every consumer pretty much had it on their phone and a lot of the drivers were moving from, you know, radio companies to this method. Obviously, there are other players in the markets such as yourselves now. 
And one thing I've noticed when I've been in in the back of a taxi is that drivers are hopping from app to app looking for jobs. Have you seen an increase in the number of drivers using your platform? And can you tell if they're using your platform throughout the day or if they are hopping from place to place? We certainly are seeing an increase of drivers using using the app, and that's certainly happening in Dublin and also in Limerick, Cork and Galway, where we've recently launched. Um, what we see is that, that drivers are indeed using multiple apps to give them the best opportunities of, of receiving the best trips that suit them. So um, what we are seeing, I think, rather than just sort of the apps competing for drivers' attention, it really does point to there is a shortage of total taxis in the marketplace and that's why it's harder to get a taxi on any of the apps you might be using than previously. What can we do or what do we need to do to get more drivers to you know alleviate some of those issues? We think there is a path forward um, and we're really keen to work with with government and the NTA to, to help address this problem and the first thing we need to do is just encourage more drivers into the industry. And we need to do that by broadening the eligibility of the vehicles that they can use to drive in the industry. So that's more taxis and more hackneys on the road. And we think that we need to bring in proportionate testing for drivers. So they don't need to study for up to six weeks to memorize all streets and local amenities in a region before they can get a license to drive. Now, most of us rely on sat-navs to get our ways best from A to B. Like, is that a is that a funding issue? Is it a policy issue? You know, and the conversations and the engagement that you've had with those bodies that you've just mentioned, is the sense and the tone optimistic that change will come? Well, we think the shortage in the industry is undeniable. We're hearing that from Dublin Bus. We're hearing it from Dublin Airport. We're hearing it from all the major operators in the marketplace. It is within the NTA's remit to broaden that vehicle criteria. So start allowing more vehicles to become hackneys and taxis in our marketplace. And that will certainly help. That's when we, what we hear from drivers is that there is certainly a willingness for, for many people to come and join the industry, but they're held back by the tight restrictions around what type of vehicle uh, they can only get licensed to join the industry. And also by that, that testing, having to memorise streets and landmarks um, to be able to join the industry. The, I don't know any about, anything about it, but what are the restrictions in terms of the vehicles that can be used? So at the moment, the vehicles, only um, vehicles that can be transformed into wheelchair accessible vehicles will be licensed for brand new licences in the industry. So people who previously have been in the industry are able to uh, drive sort of more standard saloon cars, whereas now to get a new vehicle licence, it needs to be a very particular type of vehicle that can be transitioned into a wheelchair accessible vehicle. When I've been in America in the past, I've used the ride share service. So, you know, you book uh, like an Uber pool, I think, isn't that, is that the term? Is that something that could be used here in Ireland? There are some challenges with regulations around uh, shared taxi services. So that would be something we'd need to to work with the NTA to iron out. But certainly um, the the pooling services, the ride sharing services um, can really be be, be a a good source of opportunity to help. Mm. I want to talk briefly just about uh, EVs because we do a monthly slot here on the show and uh, before the break we just heard from Derek Riley who was talking about uh, the changes that are happening in terms of grants 
is the rise of electric vehicles is that adding to the you know is that is that a benefit is that a good thing for taxi drivers to be able to tap into you know yes there is a big outlay at the beginning in terms of an electric vehicle but it does have a whole host of benefits as well is that something that you're seeing at all yeah the the NTA have done a great job in both educating drivers and providing the opportunities for grants etc to, to shift to, to electric vehicles um but the challenge again is that that's a very, very small opportunity for new drivers wanting to enter the industry. So great opportunities for current drivers to upgrade to WAVs, um, which are being uh, very much appreciated by all the drivers we speak to. But the challenge is, again, with uh, the current vehicle restrictions, there are a tiny amount and very hard to get your hands on an EV vehicle, which could be uh, turned into a, a wheelchair accessible vehicle. Mm-hmm. I, I always ask you this question, but I, I'm sure the answer is yes. Are there further plans for the expansion of Uber services here in Ireland? And are you looking at what's going on in the other markets in which you operate to see what and how things can be, be implemented in, in this country? Yeah, we certainly are. Even if we just look across the water to the UK, we are seeing record numbers of drivers uh, entering the industry. So we're actually seeing. Uh, record numbers of drivers coming on to service the towns and cities in which they're operating. Um, we have opened up, as I said, to Limerick, Cork and Galway at the end of last year. We've now actually opened up the app to drivers right across the country. So any driver across the country can uh, register, uh, get verified through the process and download the app. And then they can be meeting the the local demand that is occurring in their towns and cities as well across the country. So we expect to grow and we hopefully can be part of the solution which which can help bring a more reliable transport to Ireland. Brilliant stuff. Well, look, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. We do appreciate your time. Uh, Kieran Hart, thank you so much. Thanks, Jess. That was Kieran Hart of Uber speaking to me on Wednesday of this week. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we're going to chat to Keila Brodigan about the changes that are happening in the audio landscape. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. In just a few minutes' time, uh, screen time will be on with John Fardy. John, how are you? I'm great and I'm in a funny mood. You're always in a funny mood, but why particularly this week? Because we're doing a special, the best comedies of all time. I've assembled a panel, Chris Wasser, Aoife Barry, and we're looking at genuine belly laugh movies. I just thought for Easter it might be something nice. How better to celebrate the resurrection of Christ than look at the best comedy well, look, you know, of all time. Uh, a question for you on this, right? Yes. I think it depends on the age and when you watch things. And there's movies that I would have watched when I was younger that I loved and I thought was the funniest mm-hmm. thing in the world. And you go back to them because you see them on Netflix or whatever and they're absolutely dr- like crap. The truly great comedies don't age that way. So, for instance, something like Some Like It Hot. Not seen that. Oh, Pat Kenny's favourite movie. That has an age. That still stands the test of time. I would suggest a movie like Bridesmaids, which is now 10 years old, will go on and on. You that, know? That's one of my favourite movies. And I loved it when it came out. Mm-hmm. And I watched it recently. And it's the kind of, it's the perfect airplane movie as well. It's, so if, if you're going on a long haul flight yeah. and you pop it on, it just puts you in good form. The performances, the writing, the cringe moments, it's great. It's brilliant. The toast off where they're trying to toast each other. It's wonderful. And of course, the famous scene in the bridal dressing shop, you know. Oh, where she poops on the street. Yeah. 
and elsewhere. <laughs> oh, she beat you. One of the, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a great movie. Uh, do you tell your favorite? Were you going to tell? Oh, us? I do. Yeah, yeah. You'll have to tune in after six. Oh, what a tease! Uh, right. So all of that is coming up. I'm going to ask you a question, and if yes. the answer is no, I'm going to get annoyed. Okay. Ha- have you watched Ted Lasso? I've watched the first two seasons, as we discovered last week. But you remember last week, and you I've said- watched the first two seasons. I'm drowning in stuff I have to watch. I was talking to Pat Kenny this week about a great show called The Letdown on Netflix. All about, uh, well, a husband and wife, but mostly a wife and a mother negotiating the first few months of having a baby. And so many people got in touch saying it's so funny and it's so accurate about what having a child is actually like. It's a great show on Netflix. I was watching most of that this week, so... That, that's what had me busy on my TV. So it's week. not Ted Lasso? It's not Ted Lasso. There's also Succession I'm keeping up with. Which is There's fantastic. also The Mandalorian, which I have to watch with the kids and all. Okay. Yeah. So that's seven excuses from John Farley there. are there. many rooms in my TV mansion. Okay. If you want more of this drivel, tune into Screen Time at six o'clock. John, thanks very much. Thank you. Now, last week on the show, I told you about News 90, which is a new flash briefing available to anybody who has an Alexa-enabled device. And it will give you a 90-second news update, basically telling you what you need to know without having to trawl through the different news outlets. And this is one of a number of innovations that are happening, not only here at News Talk and Barrow Media Audio Ireland, but across the digital audio space. Uh, And I wanted to delve a little bit deeper into this to understand what's happening uh, in this field, how it benefits us, the users, and what impact it's going to have on the wider media landscape. And who better to talk about all of this, and I'm sure more, yeah, than Keila Brodigan, who is the Group Digital Director at Barrow Media Audio Ireland. Uh, Keila, I'm delighted to have you on the show. Uh, there's an awful lot of buzzwords uh, in this space and in the media space as a whole, but let's just start at the very beginning. When I talk about, you know, digital audio in the intro there, what exactly are we talking about? Hi Jess, great to, great to be here. Thank you. Um, so digital audio is, it, it kind of covers a variety of different formats. So it's it's any type of audio that you can listen to via digital device. So that includes um, radio um, as we know it, but you just happen to be listening to it either on a smartphone or on a smart speaker or on a, on a desktop. Um, it includes uh, music streaming. It includes on demand. So the likes of, you know, podcasting or catch up um, radio. So it kind of it, it crosses over quite a few uh, formats, but, but basically it's any kind of audio that you can listen to digitally. Mm. And w- what it intrigues and excites me about digital audio is it's kind of easier to measure and you can, I'm sure, identify trends in user behavior. So even if we looked at me as a case study, I might listen to the radio in the morning, play a podcast on my way to work and listen to music on the way home. But all of those things leave little data trails behind, which I'm sure then is beneficial from a strategy point of view to try and ensure that, you know, Bower Media Audio Ireland as a content house is offering me what I want, where I want it, when I want it. Absolutely. And I think that's the really exciting thing for our business um, that, you know, we can kind of map that customer journey or that listening journey as, you know, you, you've just kind of defined your own and ensure that, you know, no matter what what device anybody's using, if they're commuting in on the Lewis in the morning or if they're working from home and they've got the smart speaker playing in, in the background or indeed dropping the kids to school and they've got the radio on. So what, whatever those kind of opportunities are that we have either a device or or, or content there uh, for, for people to, to listen to. And that's the opportunity for us um, as a business to be 
there for, for our audiences, but it's also really interesting, you know, from I suppose from, from a commercial point of view, because there's been different bits of research done that, you know, when podcasts, for example, are integrated into other types of media, digital media campaigns, it actually kind of, you know, increases the trust and, and, and the recall. So it's a really, really powerful medium um, in, in the digital world, you know, to be able to, so particularly at a time when when trust can can be some somewhat um, uh, lacking maybe across across some medium, but um, audio because it has that kind of foundation in being you know very much about the personality, about the brand, about you know welcoming somebody you know into your home in, into your kitchen. It really has that kind of deep emotional connection with audiences. So for us then to be able to move beyond uh, radio, which obviously is is uh, core um, to our business, but to be able to offer in a digital world, um, a, a digital format that supplements and augments um, digital campaigns is really, really powerful. And I want to talk a little bit about, without doing sort of a This Is Your Lifestyle programme, but for those who don't know, Bower Media Audio Ireland is the home for News Talk, Today FM, Spin 98 and Go Loud. And I know this is a journey that you've been working on here for, for many years now. But take us back a little bit about the starting point of going from radio stations into, you know, a content publishing house that has multiple formats. I, I just mentioned the the flash briefing as an example, uh, but but we, we've kind of, I suppose, spread out quite a bit now. So what was the starting point and how did you identify the, the, the I suppose, the, the avenues to go down uh, to ensure that we were, again, where the listener needs and wants us to be? And that's it, Jess. It's, it's always about um, the, the, the great thing about our business is that we've always been agile. We've always been future uh, future looking. We've always been, I suppose, audience and, and customer focused. Um, so it, it was always about um, keeping an eye on 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 the trends and where where people are, were were listening. And obviously, I suppose the, the the first one was you know people were listening on their desktop and people were listening on on their their um their smartphone. And you know we obviously um, not just responded, I, I would argue, but kind of got I got ahead of a lot of those those trends. You know we created kind of you know first to market apps, you know, so that people could have that direct connection with the brand that that they were were connected with. So we kind of started out as, you know, websites and um, digital listening via desktop and then moving into individual apps for each of our brands. But as you rightly pointed out, we are a portfolio of, of, of businesses. And, and if you look at those businesses, you know, the, the, the kind of target demographic stretches, you know, right from your youth stations from a spin perspective, right through through the, the, the spectrum to your, to your 55 pluses. We've got everything from sports to speech to music and entertainment. So we have a, a really rich portfolio of, of content. And what we do know uh, or did know at the time and, and still do, but as one, one of the kind of um, key kind of data points for us was around um, the Jane Laura research, which is obviously the, the nationally representative re- research um, in the context of, of radio listening. And that at the time was telling us that, you know, every Irish person, and we know that Irish people have such a love and an, an affinity for, for radio, but they were listening to on average about 2.5 radio stations. Um, that was kind of their portfolio of stations and they'd switch um, between them depending on what the needs were. So I suppose, you know, we kind of had a conversation, you know, given the breadth and depth and richness of our own portfolio, well, why couldn't we compete to be, you know, at any given point, you know, any of those two, 2.5 options. So we started down the path of kind of aggregating our our, um, 
our digital experience, let's say, and we've kind of created this kind of destination platform now called Go Loud, which is and that is not just an aggregator um, of our brands because it does kind of um, it is a content proposition. You know, we create content both from a music and, and a podcast perspective kind of outside of um, the content of all of our uh, brilliant radio stations. And, and that content kind of supplements or <clears throat> extends uh, or complements the content strategies um, of, of the portfolio. So it was about kind of building this kind of proposition in the market where you could go to one place and you could then access all the brilliant radio stations that, that you wanted. You could access all of the on-demand content you wanted, you know, be that, you know, a podcast from off the ball, from, from News Talk or, or indeed The Guardian. Um, we had a, a, a massive portfolio of content and then also from a music playlist perspective. So irrespective of what mood or genre or occasion, if you were working out in the gym, if you were, you know, uh, taking the dog for a walk or you fancied a, um, a, a playlist for a party that, that you were throwing, we would have some, something there. So that kind of like started us on the journey of, you know, very much being about um, content and you know I would argue and, and I say this myself even though I am the digital director of the, of the group the platform is somewhat irrelevant because in the world that we live in today it is just expected that they work you know and that they they do what the user wants them to do that the journey is seamless that the recommendations are great um, the, the expectation is there that it's a great user experience and it's something that we work really really hard on to continue to to, to optimize and then with that, then behaviors change. I mean, if anything, um, you know, COVID was, was an absolute catalyst for an explosion um, of digital listening. And I suppose, you know, thanks to, I suppose, the strategic positioning of, of our business and the investment um, that we had put in, in in the lead lead up to it, we were really, really well positioned to, to leverage the shift in consumer behavior as people started to, A, listen to more radio and listen to more digital audio, um, but also um, a shift in behavior and how they were listening. So, um, I mean, we've seen a massive explosion in in smart speaker listening over over the last number of years and absolutely accelerated um, by COVID. So I think the the, the very kind of, um, it was a bit of a long-winded uh, answer, but I suppose it, to answer your question, it's always about kind of monitoring trends, monitor, monitoring what consumers are doing how they're behaving but always having having the consumer and and our, our listeners at the heart of everything that that we do be that the content we create or or the platforms that we invest in yeah and one of the things about the it's we always say the news talk app powered by go loud but it's kind of all within the one ecosystem is that the more you listen on the platform there are learnings and the recommendations get smarter and you're more likely to jump in from say the Pat Kenny show to something on Dermot and Dave to a music playlist or whatever it is how, how much legwork and constant maintenance goes into that or is it something that is entirely automated now? So we made a deliberate decision that it would we would not go the fully automated route. So we have a hybrid, um, and that is um, somewhat to do with the amazing heritage and, and, and legacy we have in audio. That it is a mixture of art and science, you know, between you know the how music is selected or how content strategy is is kind of put together, always with with, with the audience at, at the heart of it. So yes, we have AI powering recommendations. And like your experience with with any of the the applications will be different to mine because it's based on consumption and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but we also have the human curation side of it as well. 
you know, so that gives us an ability to be able to kind of, oh, my God, there wasn't a cracking interview on Pat Kenny or, you know, Jess interviewed such and such or there was a brilliant interview on Off the Ball or there's an amazing playlist um, there from from Today FM. It enables us to hero our own content because, as we rightly know, um, sometimes there's a bit of um, fatigue. You know, how many times have you opened up Netflix and spent half an hour kind of flicking through it and then decided that you can't pick anything <laughs> that, that, that you want you want to watch? So that was something that we were acutely aware of, you know, that we wanted to make sure that our listeners and that our our audiences were getting the best content um, and and the most recent content as well. So we can change all of this on the fly, which is great. And we we built all of our platforms to have that kind of flexibility that we could literally um, change things within seconds. So it is that kind of fine balance between you know, the machine, which, you know, obviously can suck up a huge amount of, of data points and then, you know, um, create a, an audience segmentation and then deliver content relevant um, to to different different needs, but also balancing it with with that human side, because, you know, I suppose one of the things that, you know, we are different from the likes of other um, maybe music streaming apps in, in, in the industry, you know, that could be argued as, as being almost, you know, like the jukebox in the corner that is purely a machine. You know the the beauty um uh, uh, about radio and digital audio and 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 I think it, it's it's reflected in the relationship um that our audiences have with with our brands is that human touch. Mm. And talking of human touch, I know just this week, um, the team from Hold My Drink, which is a Go Loud original podcast, held live events in Vicker Street, which is incredible. And again, that is something that members of your team are doing. So it's not just a supplement to our radio products. There's also brand new products that exist in audio, in social media, but then physical events too. It is, you know, that there was a talk a few years ago that maybe podcasts and influencers would put an end to traditional news outlets. But that's not the case. It just seems to be like another another tentacle that's prodding out of the side and is thriving. So, yes, you're you're, you're right. It's I mean, one of the interesting things is so, as I said, like, you know, Go, Go Loud is um, an audio platform which houses our portfolio of content. But it is also a content production house um, to supplement and, you know, we obviously identified opportunities, you know, from an audience perspective where there were gaps in the market. One of the uh, things that we've really learned is that, you know, just because you're a high profile influencer on X platform does not translate into quality talent um, a- a- across across audio. We've obviously had some incredible success um, with that, but we've also had, you know, um, some some learnings as, uh, as well. So it is very much always and should be and has been about the quality of of the talent and the likes of um Charlie Murphy and, and Ellie Kelly from Hold My Drink uh, which you which you've referenced they're absolute um talent and they have really really um built a community ar- around the podcast and it is very much around that they're really authentic um and positive influences on on the lives of of their listeners you know and, and it is a um a, a particular de- demographic um, and there's there's lots of different um, podcasts within within our portfolio that, that that I could point to, but it is very much that that direct connection and the building of, of of community, and I think that's what's really powerful from a podcast perspective because it is different. It's you know it's not broadcast. You actually as a listener have to actively seek these things out. You know, so um, it takes a little bit more um, more work, you know, to to get people 
and and you know ergo you know there can be a lot more kind of um niche niche content but it is very much around around that community and, and the opportunity from a live events perspective is again to build and and, and I suppose somewhat kind of um reward the loyalty of, of of the listeners and and give them that direct access to to the people that they have um in in their ears um twice a week and the the live events that that, that you referenced um they are very much kind of live productions and more of of the podcast and the level of interaction between you know the podcasters um on, on stage and and the audience is is phenomenal um, so they've been really, really successful for for um, for us. Um, but then there will absolutely be some podcasts that would not naturally fit into into the live event space. So it's not a case of, you know, we've made a decision that every podcast needs to have a live event. That's absolutely not the case. We're, we've always been data driven. We've always listened to what the audience um, wants. And it is very much that, that kind of data point around community that helps us make a decision as to whether, yeah, this is something that that the audience will respond to. Yeah, and I think it goes back to the intimacy of radio and why people like radio. And now this is just a new evolution of that. Um, My final question, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but are you and your team constantly looking at new innovations in the tech space to see how they can benefit and augment further what what we as a group are already doing to reach more people or to give people more of what they want? Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, there's there's a lot of work just given the pace of innovation in in the digital space just to kind of keep the current platforms up to spec you know and 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 to make sure that the experience is is still great and that the content in it is great you know so so there's there's the the kind of making sure that every touch point and and um, every interaction digital interaction that that our listeners have have with our brands that that they have a really really good experience so that's one body of work and absolutely around innovation so I mean, you know, we're we've just launched the the flash briefing with with news talk, and again, that's very much around where are people listening, what are they doing on those platforms, and how can we provide something that will that will deliver a great experience. And the flash briefing is is an example of of, of that. But I mean, you know, coming, you know, you've got um, the metaverse coming, you know. Uh, challenges around youth listening you know there's a, a, a incredibly huge demographic um or, and wide-ranging demographic of of people um um of people um gaming you know so it's trying to kind of you know identify where our audience is what is a good uh, fit, fit for us you know everything from um the the new the new chat dare dare I say it and and how that can be leveraged AI how can we leverage that you know to make sure that our recommendations um are are better and not even just from a consumer perspective but also from a business perspective to be able to kind of optimize workflows so you know everything from you know the the next generation of of the car you know in car listening is still huge in in Ireland but as you know, dashboards change to be integrated with either you know a, an Amazon or what whatever um, platform the, the the manufacturers just decide to to go with. What is our posture in in this space? And and also you know we've built um, and take great pride in the relationships and the direct relationship that we have with with our listeners. And it's a double edged sword whereby you know we need a lot of. Um, you know, we, we need to work with third parties, you know, to make sure that whatever devices our audiences are, are listening on, that we're there. 
Um, but also, you know, we need to protect that direct relationship because, you know, there could be decisions made down, down the line that, um, you know, cuts off uh, that relationship on, on different platforms. So we need to always be aware of what's coming down the line, both from a, from a platform, from a behavior perspective, um, and also um, trying to, to create innovative ways of keeping our, our, our customers and, and our listeners um, happy and entertained and informed and, and engaged but also about protecting um, that, that relationship, um, particularly around, around third parties. So, yeah, um, it's a really interesting space to, to, to be in. Um, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky to work in an industry that is as creative and as innovative and as embracing as it has been um, to digital audio. I mean, we don't necessarily describe ourselves as, as a radio business anymore. We're an audio business. So that's a great place to be. And I suppose, and, and to be working in uh, as was the, the business that is at, at the forefront of digital and innovation from from an audio perspective in in this market and also now to have peers across lots of other different markets um is is a very exciting place to be yeah no it really is well i'm sure we could talk for another hour but we won't uh keila rodigan thank you so much for joining us here on news talk Thank you, Jess. And that's it from me this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk Breakfast. But in the meantime, have a great weekend.